promised us, promised us, you were going to talk about doing Jesus' work, Jesus' way, and getting Jesus' results. And I promised that we would talk about prayer as a foundation. So we're going to try to cover uh, those things, which I know there's some overlap there mm -hmm. uh, in the uh, in the next few uh, hours here. No, not hours. Uh, minutes. Next, next few minutes here. So yeah, yeah. In this uh, episode. So what is that? When you say doing Jesus' work, Jesus' way, what do you mean by that? Um, well, I, um, you know, as I go around the world and do these trainings, I, I as soon as you ask that question, my mind goes to several instances where you know people have really kind of caught that vision and they realize that uh, they have maybe been trying to get Jesus to bless what they're doing instead of getting in on what he's doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so if we do Jesus' work Jesus' way, then I think it's safe to assume that we'll get Jesus' results. We'll get God-sized results. We'll get a bigger harvest if we do his work his way rather than trying to get him to join us in doing our work man's way or tradition's way or whatever. So the way that that looks uh, is honestly, you know, we've talked about Luke chapter 10, um, really verses 1 through 11, that sending of the 72, but that's pretty foundational in doing Jesus' work Jesus' way. Uh, going out, you know, he sent them two by two. Mm -hmm. He told them, and we're going to touch on prayer, he told them to begin by praying, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, uh, and then they became the laborers. And But then when, when he sent them, one thing he did was he did not teach them how to win an individual. And sometimes this is controversial. This is why I can be the problematic voice sometimes. Is Amen, because I'll, yeah. I'll say, well, <laughs> is, personal, is personal evangelism biblical? And people will say, well, of course it is. You know, look at, I don't know, look at the woman at the well. Look at Zacchaeus. And I say, yeah, great. Philip and the eunuch. Yeah. yeah, look at those. Those are great stories. But if you look a little deeper, that was a person of peace that was used to reach a community, a household. Uh, Jesus could have led uh, Zacchaeus in the sinner's prayer at the base of the tree, but he didn't do that. He went into his house. And there's just a huge benefit when we do that. And sometimes people are just too quick to want to, you know, give their gospel presentation. Sometimes it's almost like a spiritual sales pitch. And they try to get the person to sign on the dotted line. I've, I've seen gospel tracks that have a signature, uh, mm. you know, page in the back. And, um, but you don't see anybody doing just one-on-one -on -one evangelism. Jesus taught his disciples how to win households and towns. So in Luke 10, that's what we see. Verse 5 says when you enter a house. And verse 8 says when you enter a town. Um, so... Just thinking in terms of how can I win this person's circle of influence and not just win this person. All of us have, have witnessed, even everybody listening, even if you don't follow Christ, I bet you've seen where a, a person in a household comes to Christ and the rest of the household doesn't know what happened, but suddenly there is animosity and there's tension and there's you know this 
the relationships have changed. This person that I used to love, and or I mean, I still love them maybe, but this person that, you know, was, was one of us has now left and joined a Bible study or a church or something, and now they've become one of them. And, you know, there's this tension. And the people left in the home who didn't come to Christ, they usually don't like Christ. They don't like that church. They don't like whoever those people were that took away their loved one. They don't like mm. them. Mm. And Be- because of that uh, strain in, their, in, in, in the relationship with, yeah. with someone close to them. Okay. Yep. It's uh, what some people refer to as extractional evangelism, and it is counterproductive. Because if you win that one person— but the rest of the people in their circle of influence become, you know, hardened against Christ and against you and your church and your message, then really the devil's winning them. You know, you win one, the devil wins four, five, six, nine. So who's really winning? You know, if you're keeping score, you're, you're by doing extractional personal one-on-one evangelism, if you're not careful, you can be helping the devil more than you're actually helping okay. God. Yeah. Before uh, before you go on, uh, yes, what what comes to my mind when I think about that is, it, didn't Jesus say that, you know, don't think I came to bring peace but a sword. That ho- houses will be divided because of Jesus. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, might that be what he was talking about? Uh, could somebody be? Doing personal evangelism that results in a in a, a a split in a household, and just point to that and say, "Well, Jesus said this would happen." Mm-hmm. Jesus did say that it would happen. In fact, he said, "A man's enemies will be the members of his own household." But he didn't ever make that the goal. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. He said uh, that you know that um, I mean that we are supposed. Well, I shouldn't say he said he sent his disciples to try to win households. And we are supposed to be uh, modeling or imitating Christ. And so I look at the uh, ministry of Paul, the ministry of Peter, the ministry of Jesus himself, and I see that that was never the goal. And in fact, it was always something to be avoided, this, mm. this you know, um, a man's enemies being the members of his own household. That's going to happen anyway. That's going to happen because, you know, the world is the, the really what the devil is, the prince of this world. And so, but we should try to avoid it. We shouldn't try to uh, facilitate that. And we should do everything we can to see that not happen rather than to see that happen. I don't know if I told this story before, but I was in India and we went out two by two in a village where no one had ever, to the best of our knowledge, no one had ever heard about Christ. And I went to a household. There was a young woman there. She had her baby and we started sharing. You know, we did exactly what Jesus said. We were trying to obey him just like a little child, you know, just Mm -hmm. verbatim. So peace to this house. And she said, what does that mean? Oh, well, a God sent us and one of his names is the Prince of Peace and he wants his peace to be upon you and your house and she welcomed the peace of Jesus on her house and then we told her he also uh, is a king and he told us that you need to repent because the kingdom his kingdom is coming to the earth and she said what does it mean to repent and so we told her that and then we got that far and I said where's your husband 
And she said, my husband has gone to a, another village. And again, quoting Jesus, he said to the woman at the well, where's your husband, right? Mm. And uh, she said, oh, he's in another village at a wedding. He won't be back for a few days. And I said, well, how can I pray for you? And I prayed for her, and I did not share the rest of the gospel story. I didn't share how she could come to Christ. Because in that village, her husband would be justified by, if he came back from that wedding, he's a Hindu, and she has converted to Christianity, he can burn her alive, and, and the whole community would think he was in the right hmm. for doing that. So I thought, hmm. I'm not going to cause that kind of see in our culture it sometimes we think well the you know the ramifications aren't that severe so we go ahead and do it anyway but even paul and again this is i'm I'm still talking about doing jesus work jesus way because paul went out to the desert of arabia spent three years there and then in in um, galatians chapter 1 verse 12 paul said that i didn't learn this, what I do and what I preach, I didn't learn it from any man. He said, I received it as a revelation. So like how we download software into a computer, Jesus downloaded this into Paul, and Paul had the same stuff that Jesus downloaded into his other disciples. He didn't download a whole set, different set of information because then wherever they wherever they interact with each other out in the world, they'd have conflict. Well, Peter does it this way and Paul does it this way. Jesus trained Paul to do the same things that he trained his disciples to do. So when we look at the ministry of Paul, I always go to uh, Acts chapter 16 just because it's so clear. He's imitating Jesus. He goes to, if there's a synagogue in the town, he goes to the synagogue. He's looking for people of peace. Hmm. That's what Jesus did. He went to the synagogue and and he wasn't going to church because they always tried to kill him or run him out of there. You know, they tried to throw him off a cliff in Nazareth. So, but Paul, he goes to the city of Philippi. They don't have a synagogue there. So he goes to try to find a place to pray, Paul and Silas. And he runs into Lydia down by the river. And then they share the gospel with Lydia and some of the other women as they're, as they're washing clothes. And Lydia was receptive and then if you read the next couple of verses, it says, then she and all those in her household were baptized. Hmm. And so you know that Paul wouldn't baptize someone who hasn't received Christ. And so they heard the gospel. Then they cause some trouble in the city. They get beat up. They get thrown in jail. Then there's an earthquake. The jail breaks open. The jailer's going to kill himself. Paul says, don't kill yourself. We're all still here. None of us have left. The jailer, and this blows my mind, the jailer came in, fell at their feet, and said, what must I do to be saved? Hmm. Now, what would most people in America who have the gift of evangelism do in that moment? Romans Road, they'd say, well, if you, you know, Mm -hmm. believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, so what would keep you from doing that right now? Exactly, exactly. And that's not what Paul did. Paul said, you need to believe in Jesus, you and your household. And then it says, they preached the word of God to him and all those in his house. Then they came to Christ. Then they were baptized. Then they had breakfast. Then the sun came up. And then, you know, they got kicked out of town. But Paul was, was so focused on the household. So he got Lydia's household and the Philippian jailer's household. And that is the birth of the church at Philippi. Hmm. Two households. But they got everyone in the household. And 
when when Jesus was calling his first disciples, he got in Peter's boat and he went out and he preached from the boat and then he told Peter, push out into deep water and let down your net for a catch. You know, most of us with Bible knowledge know this story. They had a tremendous haul of fish. They drag it all up on shore. And then Jesus, with with literally thousands of fish just flopping around behind him, you know the sound that it makes, that I never, I never I, thought about that in that context. Yeah, yeah, I love, you know, when I go fishing at my at my dad's uh, lake and we pull that little live basket out of the water with all the fish in it and they're flopping around. You get sprayed, you get soaked. It's loud and messy and dangerous. They'll, you know, if you get too close, they'll poke you with their spines. But Jesus, with that as the backdrop, thousands and thousands of fish that these professional fishermen did not get to sell because Jesus walked away and said, now... If you follow me, I'll teach you how to catch men. Do you think maybe that was a prophetic scene that he was telling them, I'm going to teach you how to catch fish with a net? Kind of like, okay, we just caught thousands of actual fish. Now let me show you how to do that with people. Mm -hmm. And then they went off and he trained them to catch fish with a net or people with a net, you know, human fish. Um, so that's a household is more than one person. The average household size in America is is five. I, I may have told this story before, but uh, we've got a disciple maker in Uganda, a guy named Isaiah. And Isaiah uh, prayed for a man, a Muslim man who had AIDS. And he the, the man said, if Jesus heals me of AIDS, I'll, I'll follow him. And the man's own words were, both me and my household. Hmm. Because he knew it's important, if I'm going to follow a different God, then my household needs to follow that God too. We're not going to be a divided household. And so Isaiah laid his hands on the man, told the AIDS to be gone, and commanded it to leave in Jesus' name. The guy went to the doctor. They took his blood two days later, and they said, There's, we can't find any evidence of AIDS in you anymore. And that man and his whole household came to Christ. They all got to hear the gospel. You know, Isaiah got to get into the household, share the gospel, and now that man is a disciple maker, uh, trainer, trains people to be, to go out two by two, look for people who are looking for Christ. But the point of that story is that that man's name is Habib, and Habib was the one who had a little bit of a spiritual hunger. Mm. But his whole family got caught up in the dragnet of the kingdom of God there, even though we don't know for sure that any of them had any spiritual hunger. Mm -hmm. So I ask people all the time, when you catch fish with a hook, was that fish hungry or not? Yeah, if you did it right. If w They're not going to bite your hook if they're not hungry. Yeah. How frustrating is it when you can see a fish down there and you've got the bait in front of their mouth and they're just looking at it, you know? <laughs> but when you catch fish with a net... Do you know if they're hungry or not? No. They, they just have to be in the wrong place at the wrong time or the right place at the right time, depending on whose perspective. But from the kingdom of God's perspective, they're in the right place at the right time. The net falls on them and they get pulled in because there was at least one person in their circle of influence, that person of peace that was willing to, you know, create, allow a circumstance to develop where the net yeah. could fall. Yeah. So... I'm I'm meeting with this uh, I'm meeting with this group and mm -hmm. we're we're learning these concepts. Mm -hmm. 
and we're we're thinking about one uh, percent of our county and 68 simple churches that would by by what you're talking about you, you would really need to find 68 people of peace I mean if I just was thinking about it really simply yeah and the response from the this small group of people who we're, we're talking through this with said that's something I need to pray about mm -hmm. because I can't I can't invent those people right <laughs> oh man so, so let if we if we may mm -hmm. can, can we shift gears here uh, understanding that what you're talking about fishing with a net I mean when when Peter went back out on the boat and let his net into deep water, it wasn't because of anything he had done special or, or different that all of a sudden there was more than the nets could even hold. More that was God at work. Oh, absolutely. So what does it look like to have extraordinary prayer and when I say extraordinary, I literally mean something more than ordinary mm -hmm. prayer. So when I say extraordinary, that's what I mean. There's kind of ordinary what you're used to, kind of how you normally pray. Mm -hmm. um, my understanding is that movements don't happen apart from extraordinary prayer. So in your experience, what does that look like? What does prayer look like in places where you're seeing... Um, households coming to Christ. Sure, sure, that's a good question. And what goes, what what, what comes to mind is that I don't know um, what I would probably say. I don't know if I would use the the terminology extraordinary prayer. I would say aligning our prayers with God's will. Okay, you know, and that's what I've seen works. Um, I, I've shared the story before, but in my own life, I spent. 17 years thinking that I'm going to be a church planter and preparing for church planting. That's where our paths crossed. But then when God came along and said, well, I didn't command anyone in my Bible to plant churches, but I did command you to make disciples. And I said, I'll build my church. And so when I began to just simply pray, okay, Lord, if you want me to make disciples, show me how, show me where, show me with whom, and I will do it. Our life just changed. God started to connect us with people, and they're making disciples over here, and they're growing by the thousands, and they're seeing miracles. And it was like, oh my goodness! And people, people have asked me about, um, you know, people have said to me, "Well, I don't think I've ever met one of those people of peace that you're talking about." Usually, my response is, "What would you have done with them if you had?" And they usually say, "Well, I would have invited them to church," and I said, "And then." hand them off to the pastor to disciple them or to the system and the programs to disciple them. And they say, well, yeah. And I say, well, that might be why you didn't ever find them because that's not what Jesus told mm. you to do. Jesus mm. said, you disciple them. Mm. But most people don't feel equipped to disciple people. And that, so that's intimidating to them. And that's why in disciple making movements, it's so simple because really all we do is we find these people of peace and then we introduce them to God. We give them a simple process where God can disciple them. 
and we just sort of, um, you know, oversee, we manage, we just, you know, we stay in relationship with them. I heard of a, a woman in uh, California. So you're asking again about what does this look like? There was a woman in California attended a training, one of our Discovery Bible Study or our disciple making trainings. And, you know, in our training, it's literally just do Jesus work Jesus way. What did they actually do in the New Testament? Let's try to get as close to that as we can. And so this woman was, and she was retired and, and you know, 60 some years old. And she said, I want to use the rest of my years on earth to make disciples. So she just began to pray, Lord, connect me with a person of peace. Mm. And after a week or two, she had a dream of a street sign. She she clearly saw the pole and the, you know, the little green or blue, whatever yep. sign with this name of the street. And she thought, I know where that is. This is over in uh, in Northern California. So she got in her car. She drove down to that street and it was a street with tall buildings on both sides and there was not a soul on the street. She drove down the street really slowly, not another not a single person. And she thought, well this isn't this isn't working out. I must have misread God. And then she pulls up to the stop sign and a woman steps out from behind the building, as she couldn't see of course, and walks across the crosswalk in front of her and it was a beautiful day. So she had her window down and the woman turned looked at her through the windshield and then turned and looked back at her again when she was, you know, when there was no glass separating them. Yeah. The woman driving the car, who's looking for a person of peace, says to the lady, hasn't God given us a beautiful day? Now, she could have said, isn't it a beautiful day? Mm -hmm. But then that wouldn't have triggered anything in the mind of the woman. So the woman stops in her tracks and comes over to the window and says, you know God? And she says, <laughs> I, I do. I'm actually here because I think he sent me here to find someone who's looking for him. And the woman said, I'm looking for God. And so they, they pulled over and, and uh, set up a time and to meet that woman at her house. And uh, so the disciple maker, retired lady, says, I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to show you, I'm going to share with you the gospel message and I'm going to show you how you can learn from God for yourself. How he will teach you directly from his word. She pulled up at the house and it looked like a party was going on. There was people all over the place, people in the lawn, people on the porch, you know, spilling out the windows. Not really, but I mean, it was yeah. the house was yeah. packed. And so the disciple maker started to leave. She starts to turn <laughs> around and the lady runs out of her house and says, where are you going? She said, well, you're having a party. I came here to I came here to share the gospel with your friends and family. She said, every one of these people is here to hear the gospel. Wow. They're waiting for you. So she went in there, shared the gospel, taught them how to do discovery Bible study. That network now or not i mean now it's beyond anything i know but when i heard this story it had spread down the coast of california into central america and there was more than a hundred simple new testament churches that had started because that one lady hmm. was willing to pray so she aligned her prayer with the will of god okay god make disciples i hear a lot of talk in the world today about church planting movements and when I press a little bit and say, well, how many, how many disciples are you making? Sometimes it's not really impressive results, you know? And so one person said, if you make church, you may or may not end up with disciples. But if you make disciples, you'll always end up with church. Jesus church, doing Jesus work, Jesus way, winning souls, uh, taking them from the kingdom of darkness and bringing them to the All kingdom right. of light. So when we talk about prayer, we can talk about the time spent in prayer or 
prayer events or prayer and fasting and the mechanics of prayer and what you're saying is before focusing on those mechanics maybe i'm putting words in your mouth here focus on the alignment of your prayer what are you praying for are you praying for uh what god would have you mm -hmm. pray for yeah and and when that happens mm -hmm. then go ahead and do that more and do and, and prayer walk a community and um and there are a lot of ways to pray if we're only praying about uh god blessing our work then we may kind of be uh going down the wrong path well sure because if we're asking god to bless something that he's clearly not you know really operating there um not that he doesn't operate in because he lives in us those of us who truly you know follow him the holy spirit dwells inside of us but if we try to yeah try to get god to bless what we're doing rather than joining him in what he's doing we're just not going to see uh, the results that we want we we all want to see tremendous growth that we want to see fantastic results from you know result from our lives and ministries and the th first thing is make sure we're praying according to the will of God. Th it, your comments made me think about um, Kyle Eidelman's comments. Have you read the book, Not a Fan? Um, so Kyle Eidelman, pastor, and wrote a book called Not a Fan. And his the, the premise of the book is don't be a fan of Jesus. We make fans of Jesus in our church system mm -hmm. rather than followers. You need to be an obedient, reproducing follower of Jesus. And the beginning of his book, he talks about a time that he was praying, saying, God, give me the words, because he was going to give the Easter morning service um, message. And that's when they have the most people in the you know auditorium. Sure. Yeah. And he said, give me the words to speak so that they'll stick, so that they'll stay. And then the Holy Spirit directed him to all the times where Jesus preached the crowds away. Yes. The crowds yeah. would increase and Jesus would, you know, he would double down on his teaching and, and, and get make it harder so they would say things like this teaching is hard who can accept yeah. it and they'd walk yeah. away and he realized that his mindset was wrong he was trying to get god to do something that god wasn't about to do yeah all right well on that note let's uh let's wrap up and uh we'll look forward to what god is uh is going to do in our communities and praying uh, about what he's going to do and uh, share stories as he does it. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Kurt. Oh, wait, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe you want to close us in prayer. We could certainly, we could certainly do that. And, uh, and, and the last thing I want to say, we've been talking about boots on the ground, is just this needs to become a lifestyle where people are looking for people of peace, whether they go out two by two, like Jesus sent them as an event, maybe once a month, like Revive does, but also in everyday life. Mm -hmm. When you walk into Walmart, when you walk into the home goods store, when you walk into the, you know, whatever, Lord, connect me with a person who's looking for you. Because all of us were that person at one time, and we were trying to find somebody who could help us get to God. I remember those days in my own life, and I just, who can help me figure this out? 
Well, so people of peace are looking for us more than we're looking for them. Yeah. Yeah. So let's pray. Yeah. Jesus, we thank you for uh, what you're doing in the world today. We thank you for the salvation that you have offered, that you've purchased eternal life for us by shedding your blood on the cross, your perfect, unblemished, sinless blood to uh, pay for all the sins and all the mess and the mistakes that all of us have made. Um, we were born sinful because our parents were sinful. You were not. Uh, we just thank you. And uh, Lord, we help or we ask that you will help us to align our prayers with your will. Mm -hmm. And that uh, we know that your will in this age, this church age that we live in, your will is to make disciples of all nations, to finish the Great Commission. And so I pray that my life, Aaron's life, Marcus's life, every other person who hears this podcast, that their lives, all of our lives, would be used to our greatest potential for you and for your kingdom. And I pray for disciple-making movements to um, take root and grow and flourish and multiply from central Wisconsin to the ends of the earth. Mm -hmm. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.